0: Good evening, Internet! Hey, is that a little too loud to start off this episode? I really don't think so.
1: I, I, I think I just, my ghost left me for a second there. So.
0: Easy! Well, I tell you what, we are ready to go for this episode. This is Two Guys Who Happen to be Pastors, a show where two guys who just happen to be pastors come together every week and we talk about all the aspects that affect us in ministry and outside of the pulpit. I am Pastor Matt Heath of Strong Community Chapel, and with me, as always, is my trusty sidekick, confidant, and one of my best friends, Mr. Glenn Davis. Pastor Glenn Davis, I should say, of Willow Branch United Methodist Church. Howdy. Folks, we're glad that you tuned in for us this week. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you tonight. <clears throat> Today, I should say, whenever you're listening to this. <clears throat> but we do want to remind you, wherever you find this, whether you found this on Spotify whatever, I want to remind you of all the platforms we are available on right now. We are available on uh, Spotify, we are available on the Anchor website, and we are also available on the Apple Podcast app, if you uh, are an iPhone user, me and Glenn are. So wherever you get a chance to find a good podcast, give us a listen. Um, And we also want to uh, mention that we do have a Facebook page that we keep maintained and upload all of our episodes. So, if you would, give us a look, give us a listen, look up Two Guys who happen to be pastors on Facebook. All one word, or all, you know, just type it out. And give us a listen, give us a like, and uh, interact with us. There's actually a question on there right now, um, as of recording, asking uh, where everybody is from, what you like about the show. So let us know what's going on. <clears throat> Tonight, we're going to dive on in a little bit and go ahead and jump into the episode. First up, as always, we have the Purdue Ponderings with Pastor Glenn. This is the part of the segment, or this is the segment of the show, where we talk about all the all the aspects of being a Purdue fan here in Indiana. And while you may not have been born into it, you certainly can marry into it. Glenn, what do you have for us this evening? Well,
1: first of all, we are recording this on Thursday, December thirtieth. And we just witnessed a five-hour marathon, oh, man. where the Purdue Boilermakers kicked a field goal to win a, I believe it was 48 to 45 victory over Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. Purdue ends the year nine and four. It's first time they've won nine games, I believe, in 20 years, maybe 17, 18 years. But it's been it's a minute.
0: Been a- long time so
1: congratulations to the purdue boilermakers we watched the game at home and ate oh. Thousand degree pizza like americans <laughs> and uh, congratulations to tennessee they've had some pretty lean years yeah. like we have and it was it's good to see the volunteers doing pretty good as well america's always a little better when tennessee's doing well and purdue's doing well oh so. yeah um usc is not far behind I'm, they're scaring me to death they're gonna they've got a new coach lincoln riley and some new recruits and um for those of you who don't know if i don't know if i've mentioned it on this platform uh usc is actually my team um i married into purdue yeah. i do love yeah. the Boilermakers. i have paid for some of my wife's um schooling so i feel connected to the program i paid my booster fees uh but i lived in california and had contacts in california when usc was usc and i love their uh, apparel i love their merch i love the way their stuff looks on shirts so um we're about a year or two away from usc uh playing Alabama and Georgia and oh. the likes in national title games. So we're not very far away. Top recruiting classes and whatnot. But aside from that, congrats to Purdue. It's good to see them back. I think they're they're only getting better. Their recruiting class was top 25 this year. So uh, in Indiana, that's, that's doing pretty well.
0: There's a lot. I'll tell you what, Glenn. There are a lot of bars, homes, everything out there. Can you imagine what West Lafayette sounds like tonight?
1: Not interested. Oh, well. <laughs> you, Hopefully it's still there in the morning.
0: Oh, I'll tell you what. It, it, it was, I came over, unfortunately, I, of course, you know, with feeding and everything, I had to miss a good chunk of the game. But I came in for like the last half hour of it because it went into overtime. And uh, I'll tell you what, that last Tennessee play where he was literally millimeters, millimeters from the zone
1: yep I would say and I said it at the time and I'll say it again he got in and his knee was not down for anyone affiliated with the volunteers. I don't know why you're listening to us but God bless you for doing it. Um, he got in but his progress had been stopped and I believe the tight I thought it was a guard but I guess it was a tight right. end pulled him in. Which I know you can shove people in. I don't know if you can pull people in anyway. They said by rule he was down. And for the record, two times on that drive, Tennessee could have kicked a field goal. And they did. And put the pressure on Purdue to score, and they didn't. So, um, I mean, props to you for your fortitude, former Heisman Trophy winner Josh Heupel, <laughs> who's the coach of Tennessee. And a good one. They're going to yeah. be good for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say you won't want to run into them next year, Ooh. but um, props to the Boilermakers for pulling that one out. It basically it was an even match. It came down to who wanted it more, and I think Purdue just wanted it a hair more they did. than Tennessee did. So uh, my Purdue pondering tonight has to do with a choral workshop that I went to several years ago. Yes, for those of you who don't know, yours truly. Was in the show choir, the glee club, if you will, my senior year of high school. Um, I had a badly, badly damaged knee. It had been dislocated. I had torn my meniscus and eventually tore my quad that year. Um, I was confined to a wheelchair at school for the majority of my senior year of high school. And I decided that it would be good to try to desperately stay in some kind of shape. Hmm. So I joined the Glee Club, where I was in the middle of the second row when we would perform. So I was kind of the counterpiece to what everybody else was doing. So it looked good, even though I wasn't really doing anything. Well. So props to Mrs. Kroll for making that work. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I have such showmanship and such sparkle to You me. are quite the flair. I mean... So... Plus, I was something that you know guys could focus on when they were trying to pretend, when they were at shows with their girlfriends. They weren't checking out the chicks in the front row, who were gorgeous, by the way. If you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> ladies. I respect you. Uh, so we went to this choral workshop, and and we were a hit there. We were we were actually we had Amanda Hummer was her name. We had one of the best student choreographers. That I personally think anyone had had ever seen. I didn't know how good we were until we started being around other Glee clubs, Matt, and we were better than they were. I mean, we were for a small school in Central Indiana. We were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, we went over to Purdue. They had our our. They were doing a song that we had already choreographed, and we did it. And they offered our choreographer scholarships that day. Really, like it got real, real quick we performed in Branson later on, and and I still have pictures from that show, and we got this huge trophy for winning a contest. And we were a fairly big deal in this area for a short time. And uh, we're at this choral workshop, and the reason I'm telling you this story is it was at Purdue. And I was frustrated that day, as were several guys in the group, because we had been promised tickets. To the number three Arizona Wildcats versus the number ten Purdue Boilermakers that day. And we did not get to go to it. They chose to go a different way with it, and we toured some kind of music museum. I didn't pay a bit of attention. I don't Mm -hmm. even know what the building was called. Yeah. Because I wanted to be at the game. Well, yeah. And we heard the the train whistle. If you're not familiar, Purdue has a train whistle on permanent loan from an Indiana museum and a private collector that they blow when Purdue scores touchdowns, gets turnovers, and it's loud. I love it. And we just heard that thing go off and go off and go off all day. Purdue won that game, I think, 50-3. <laughs> and we didn't get to go. Oh. And I did not learn a Thing at that choral workshop, I was so angry. the The band and the the student section and the team all came walking by where we were, and they were like, "What are these guys doing?" And we're like, "Not having as much fun as you." <laughs> like, so, um, God bless them. I'm sure it was a good workshop. I did, I wasn't there.
0: Well,
1: you, know. <laughs> you know, I was just constantly checking the score and. Uh, you know, really lamenting being there the whole time. Um, because at that point, that's 2002, 2003, 2004, when Purdue was still Purdue. Yeah. From were. the Drew Brees, Kyle Orton years. So, very disappointing that day. But, you know, I guess that's that's what you get. Well, well you know, they'll be good next year. No, they won't.
0: No, no they won't. You got to.
1: I went through nine and thirty-nine, folks. That's a story for another day. If you know wins and losses, nine and thirty-nine isn't good. But um, yeah, not only did I miss the game, I didn't learn a thing at the choral workshop. But but I was part of the most ta- art, arguably, I guess, oh, well. the most talented group there. Mostly because our choreographer was amazing. I don't know how many of the rest of us were that great, but. Um, there were some good ones, there were some lookers, and then there was me. So, um, props to you, Purdue Coral Workshop guy. You missed the game.
0: <laughs>
1: Mr. Props working at the Coral Workshop guy.
0: Hey. Old Budweiser commercials.
1: So, anywho, um, great job by Purdue that day. Great job by Purdue tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, That'll be a much more fun plane ride home than it would have been. And, um, yeah, just um, when someone promises you something, make sure they follow through. Because that's kind of how they got us to go to that Coral Workshop was the promise of going to the game. And then we got there, and I'm like, well, the game's starting in 10 minutes. We got, oh, well, we're not going to the game. Yeah, we are. (laughs) You promised. Yeah, but we don't really have time with the schedule today. Well, I do. Do you mind? Uh, I'm just going to walk over there. Nah. There was another guy and I, we really, really thought about walking off when everyone saying, yeah. was doing the thing, and we didn't want to get the cops called on us. Yeah,
0: it so. is true,
1: but. What are you going to do? Well, hats off to the Boilermakers for that whole day. Um, I don't, like I said, I remember nothing after learning that we weren't going to be able to go to the game. So, um, there you go. That's my little choral workshop. You can't take a joke, Between the Glee Club doing the choral workshop and the Glee Club causing me to visit 41 or 42 people that night when I was a chaplain. Not a big fan of the Glee Club out there, Matt. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. I'm sure they're better now. That's been 20 years, but 20 years and 10 years, respectively. I'm saying all those folks are gone. Um... The chaplain thing really wasn't their fault, but you know what I'm saying.
0: Oh. If you've
1: heard that, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen. It's worth a listen. Uh, the Purdue Glee Club made one of my first nights on call as a chaplain very, very interesting. So, <laughs> um, guys, we're going to have to start repeating stories for too long here if we're not careful.
0: I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah.
1: So, hats off to you, Purdue Glee Club. I'm not your biggest fan. And now Matt's going to take his hat off. Awkward transition.
0: Well, not bad. Not bad.
1: Matt's going to take his hat off. He's got his Beck Seed hat here with him and his over sweatshirt. And he's going to tell us who he's taking his hat off to this evening. Matt.
0: I'll tell you what, Glenn. People ask me, like, do you have another sweatshirt? I said, yes, I actually have two of these, believe it or not. And people ask, do you, do you not like wearing another?" I said, yeah, I like wearing other stuff, but this is comfortable. It's, it's like a good, it's like a nice piece of apple pie. You know what it tastes like, you know what it's going to do to you, and you enjoy it, you know? And the same with my hats. I wear the same kind of hat every single day. Well, typically they change right around August when I get new ones from Bex, but that's another story. <clears throat> Tonight, my hat goes off to this woman. This was an article. I, I, I could not believe it when I read it. It was a woman from, I'm going to butcher the name of this town, Onalaska. Alaska. It's in Wisconsin, so. Pretty close. Yeah. An Onalaska woman visits 457 Wisconsin quick trip stores in one year. All in the pursuit of the goodness that is within. Typically, apparently in the article, if I remember reading it right, um it was she would literally go in and get donuts and coffee friends we're here in indiana around us we have speedway and that's about it you have a few well you have casey's as well casey's is pretty solid i mean if you want to family
1: go, express is invading
0: fa- they are and i say this did you know that speedway is changing over to 7-eleven
1: no kidding mm-hmm. 7-eleven about speedway
0: Yep, last year oh, and that sucks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love speedway. I mean, well, <coughs> of, <coughs> it'll be different. Okay? It, it, it,
1: I've been in California enough to know seven so Elevens. It'll be different.
0: Well, here's the th- here's my whole thing. I am an avid user of the speed Speedy Card. Um, you know, it's a rewards program. You know, you scan it, you get free drinks every once in a while, whatever. You accrue points and all this. And my first question was, does 7-Eleven have a program like that? And I had been assured by five different Speedway stores that yes, they do, and yes, my points will transfer. And actually, I guess I can keep using my Speedy card for like up to a year until I they force me to transfer over. But my hat's off to this woman here from Onalaska, Wisconsin, because... That is dedication, my friends. My whole thing. My re- if you if I take my hat off to you, it's either because of dedication, um, thinking outside the box, <coughs> whatever. And I'm gonna tell you what, folks. I uh, you know that takes a lot of dedication to go to 457 different stores, and that's like that's over one a day. It is. That's a lot. That's, in, that's impressive. That's like, you know, you're going there maybe twice in a day some weeks, you know. My hat's off to this woman because that is dedication. Um, I'll see if I can keep my, uh, keep our composure, I guess, as we're facing a change of our convenience stores. Um, like I said, Casey's is pretty good. <clears throat> if you want, like, a pizza... That's their that's their claim to fame. You ever have you've had Kes's Pizza, haven't you? Yes I have. Not often. Not <coughs> It's one of those I mean, it, it it's it's a Midwest thing. I quickly found out. Um, kinda like tenderloins or an Indiana thing. You go to Tennessee or Kentucky or Georgia, they don't know what in the world you're talking about, legitimately. But they also have this weird thing where they have a White Castle knockoff restaurant called Crystals, but that's another story for another time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't believe you didn't hear about the 7-Eleven thing. I thought that was... It's even gotten to the point, my sister for Christmas, 7-Eleven has started selling Funko Pops. If you're not familiar with those, I just got introduced to them this year of collecting them. Um, but... They have a Funko Pop that is the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man from the Ghostbusters show nice. movie, holding a miniature piece of pizza and a big gulp.
1: Stop it! That's awesome.
0: I was worried that I was not gonna be able to find one, and I literally went into the gap to the uh, speedway to fill the truck up with diesel. And I'm like, I'm looking around, like, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to ask behind the counter all this stuff. I literally walk in, and there's a great big stand-up display of them, full of them. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to run out. They had literally a hundred of them sitting in there. I could have bought a fistful of them and still had 95 left. But, uh, by the way, speaking of which, of Funko, as uh, you can see, as we mentioned last week,
1: it has arrived! It has
0: arrived, friends! Um, You know, it's kind of funny how everything works out. You want to talk about dedication? So, as if you remember a couple episodes ago, I went off the rails on this movie called Jingle All the Way.
1: You gave them a pretty healthy chewing.
0: I, I did, I did, and
1: you dressed them down and dressed them up again.
0: Well, okay. So, and last week I had mentioned, was like, well, you know, I I I went ahead and I bit the bull. I bought one as a joke, right? Friends, I got it this week. This thing is awesome. It is literally 13 and a half inches of pure nostalgia and awesomeness. I mean, it's got the jetpack, it's got the turbo discs, it's got the turbo ring, and apparently it makes noise. They have to take it out of the box to play it. But the problem is, I spent 30 bucks on this thing. That's insane for a toy. And it's made by the company called Funko that makes the pops and everything. And it was a Walmart exclusive, so you tell me how hard this thing would be to get. But apparently it has electronic lights and sounds, and it is my... It's it's going to be my spirit animal for this show. It has to be.
1: You know, Lauren was... uh, My wife Lauren was asking Matt if... uh the toy spoke spanish
0: it it uh, it, it very well might there might be a a mode for that it's the uh, it's the bilingual version and i'll tell you what again i haven't taken it out of the box but it is very is very cool apparently it lights up you can shoot turbo rings out of his arms turbo discs all this stuff It is quite possibly one of the coolest toys I have bought for a long time. And it's fun and educational.
1: That's what you're looking for.
0: It is, yes. And as we mentioned, Gunn and I have decided to adopt representative pieces for us. I myself have adopted the Turbo Man because what started out as a joke has become a hunger to have one. And now I do have one. And I can't, I can't really describe what nostalgia. I'm always nostalgic about things. Um, so I mean, you know, it's a good, nice piece. Glenn happens to have Mister Al Bundy as his representative, and I'll tell you what. They're on opposite ends of the table. Mister Bundy over here is about a, It's an eight-inch figurine. Turbo Man is a 13 and a half inch
1: figurine. No big deal.
0: Well, it's not. <laughs> uh, well, you know.
1: You know, I've got, I've got to do this. I've been, I've been sitting here working on it. Oh. I think It's only a couple seconds, so I think mm. we can get away with this. Let's,
0: let's go ahead.
1: Pistilla so. a shirt. All right, Arnold, those phrases don't make any. It's like they're making an ordinary
0: movie into the all time record smashing holiday classic hit Zero Day. Ha <laughs> Quiet pause. I mean, it is a, yeah. I, I can honestly say that I was excited. I, I
1: moved to tears and other emotions right
0: it, now. I don't know why I keep going all over it, but I do. I am literally fighting the urge to take it out and play with it.
1: Um, well, if you're not interested in its, in its uh, monetary value, though. Like you mentioned, the market got a little flooded, but. Those things would be worth some money Well, you are not making a ton of them,
0: I do No, it, I mean, it was a Walmart exclusive. And the thing about it is, I was telling Lauren, um, I looked it up on, after I bought it, I looked it up on eBay. Because as an auctioneer, you kind of want to know what certain things are going for in the quote-unquote real world. These are like 90 bucks now. That's insane for a toy. Just the doll by itself out of the box is 50 bucks. So, but I got mine at the factory retail price. So, (coughs) that might not have been the best place to insert this, but I'll tell you what. I had to mention it. I did. It is here. It is awesome. And it will be with us when we record these episodes. Much like Al Bundy will be. And Al Bundy, Is with was it? He's with this. Is it salesman of the year award? Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. So, Um, classic little piece. It's a. uh, It is a Mego. Um, If you remember, if you're a child of the '70s, Mego was the one who made all the action figures for like uh, Batman, Superman. They made all like the DC and early Marvel stuff. Kind of faded out when their president went to jail for some white-collar uh, federal stuff, and then came back and reintroduced, started making new, t- uh, new toys, new figures. So, uh, very cool. And it just kind of goes to show how nostalgic Glenn and I can be on this. So much. No, oh, man. So, I'm going to step off of that right now. I have my Turbo Man. I just had to tell somebody. Uh, and now we're going to move on to the stuff on Glenn's shelf. This is the part of the show where we, as we've mentioned, we record these episodes in Glenn's office here at Willow Branch United Methodist. And in, the, in his office, he has shelves that are completely full of random things that he has collected throughout his years um, in ministry and even before that. And everything, every single one has a story, apparently. This week, we're going to talk about something that's actually my, one of my favorite stories of the Bible. The Ark
1: of the Covenant. Now, is it one of your favorite stories from the Bible, or is it one of your favorite stories from Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg? You know what? It's a little bit of both. <laughs>
0: it came, it, okay, so it started out with Harrison Ford, and then you go back and read it, and it's like, okay, that's kind of neat, you know.
1: Well, we had to do a presentation one time on the Acacia wood and the dimensions of it. And I can tell you that part was not a lot of fun. (laughs) So, uh, in fact, we had a guy that didn't show up for study group. And uh, we all three did our presentation and we didn't tell this dude because, well come study group and he always waited till the last second to do stuff well, so then there you go um, he probably curses our names to this day but what i don't care um, They came to his presentation we all went and sat down and he hadn't done anything and um i think i finally got up and rescued him and did his part but he got a pretty stern talking to oh
0: i'm sure he did which
1: he deserved because i'm telling you something right now you might consider that me being a rat or a you know, a kiss bud or whatever, but let me explain something to you. When your life, your ways of making a living, your education and doing that, whatever it may be, is on the line, and someone doesn't respect that, I get a little irritable. I'm sorry, I'm taking this seriously, and you're not. That's not a good excuse to me. So, if you don't want to do your work, I will do it for you.
0: You're going to pay the the piper on it.
1: Yeah. I just... Look, I I will cover for people. I'm going to sit right here because I'm pretty sure none of my teachers are listening. All throughout school, I would help people, even if it was during a test or on the stupid Accelerated Reader program that I had to help people cheat at all the time. (laughs) But look, when I went to school for ministry... I mean, who cares if you pass high school sewing or English 10 or whatever. But when we are in practical ministry, that's literally what the class is called.
0: Ain't a whole lot of room for mess ups.
1: I don't don't have any interest in your excuses. This is my life. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it whether you like it or not. And if you want to come along, that's fine. And a lot of people might say, well, that doesn't make you a good teammate. Well, I work alone. I might explain <laughs> a little bit to you. So, anyway. What was the next thing we do? <laughs> it's on
0: your the Ark of the Covenant thing.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've got to be honest. I got Sometimes I get up on my soapbox and can't get off of it.
0: Nothing wrong with that. It's hey, a pretty tall one. I literally just did it like five minutes ago on Turbo. Yeah,
1: but you remember gracefully how to move along and I didn't. Well. Uh, so, I have... For those of you, all of you probably don't know. um, A very, very miniature-sized Ark of the Covenant. And here's the thing about my miniature-sized Ark of the Covenant, and I'm going to dare Matt later to do this. You can take the lid off and see what's inside of it.
0: As I recall, it didn't come out very well for the Nazis.
1: No, and uh, when we did our skits a couple weekends ago for Christmas, that was the gold in our play with... The gold, frankincense, and the little drummer boy, which was hilarious, by the way. Owen, this little kid, Owen in our church, come in with a drum set attached to his neck. And he put his sticks up and he goes, are you ready to rock? Of course, the joke being baby Jesus is in bed and you know what that baby needs is a drum solo. oh, Oh, yeah. So, anyway, Emma used that as the gold. Very nice. And... She pulled the lid off immediately and looked inside and I went, Everybody get behind a pew <laughs>
0: <laughs> And
1: I dove over a pew and hid under it. And I finally popped up. I was like, Are we good? And she goes, What on God's green earth is wrong with you? And I said, Clearly you're all not Harrison Ford fans, because that was funny. That was awful. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care who you are.
0: Oh.
1: Um uh, so, no, it's actually very cool. It looks very lifelike. I'm, I'm really, I've always been pleased with it. They had a life-sized one that was gold-plated for approximately $15,000. Life-size. You get to bring it home, carry I mean, it around. It, I
0: mean, you bought it, and it was yours. Like... And
1: it's not like on a stand. It's like literally an Ark of the Covenant. Really? So, I assume they still sell them there. Um, yeah, I just turned a corner and there it was. And I was like, oh my God, I found it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Well, I mean... <laughs> thousands guy, of years of
0: searching and it's just... Oh. Well,
1: there it is. Yeah. Uh, funny side story. We uh, were at the church of uh, the Nativity in Bethlehem, which is on top of the cave, which they believe Jesus was born in, according to the locals in the 300s um, A.D., and it had a Roman temple over it. There was a cave there. There was a grotto there. It looked like there had been a village there. Seemed to fit the part. Yeah. Um, but the, the story was, we walked by the cistern because this is, a, this is a church that was originally built in the 300s. It has not been destroyed. So it is in its original casing. It has cisterns. It doesn't have modern water. Mm-hmm. And on the side of a cistern, I found this gigantic, heavy, it had to be five to ten pounds, key. And I grabbed it, and I walked up to uh, one of the uh, Greek Orthodox guys that was in there. And I and I said, uh, yo, Padre. And he turned around. Oh, yeah, he was very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, young fellow, what can I do for you? I said, well, you see, I got this here key that was sitting on a cistern over there. I don't want it. So I'm assuming you need it back. And he said, oh, may God bless you, son. Thank you for bringing that to me. And then over in the corner a few minutes later, he was straight screaming at this young kid. It's going off. Hello. And uh, I assume saying, if not for the out-of-character kindness of that American imbecile over there, this key could be gone. And he's just screaming at this kid. In Greek, which I drift in and out of understanding. Like, I'll hear a few words. I'm like, oh, dang. You know? Um, and we all joked the whole day that probably led to the room that had the Ark of the Covenant in. So, you know, um... But, yeah, that was a cool place. You go down and see the, where Jerome wrote the, the Vulgate and, you know, where the babies were buried when Herod killed all the children, allegedly. Mm-hmm. There's arguments about that. But there is a graveyard down there. So, um, But anyway, yes, the Ark of the Covenant is usually on my mind when I go to Israel. I'm always looking for it. So, to quell that, since I'm not going as frequently as I used to, because I went three times in, like, four years at wow, one point. That's, yeah. Um, I brought it home with me. I can open it up. It has manna from the walk in Egypt and on the Sinai, where they got manna. It has the original um, commandments that were broken. And it has Aaron's staff that, that budded. So... Um, Pretty cool stuff. I am going to make Matt open it. We'll see if we're on air for that or not.
0: No oh, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I keep that on a shelf because it. we laughed. I mean, there's some stuff you encounter in Israel and Palestine, folks, that is really, really sad. Um, I feel a plight for the Palestinian people. We were locked down for about five weeks, two years ago. They've been locked down for, let's see, 48, so it will be 70, 80, years, 80 years, you know, here in just in this decade. Yeah. They've been locked down like that. So um, we really had to cheer ourselves up sometimes for some of the stuff we saw. I saw a kid get hit in the face with the butt of a gun at Hebron. Because he crossed the green line where he wasn't supposed to go, Palestinian kid. Um, We saw people get arrested. Um, We had people get really aggressive with us. Um, Soldiers and security forces are very, very racial there and they don't really care what you think about it. And uh, there are sometimes you have to really sit and, you know, joking about trying to find the Ark of the Covenant sometimes got us through an evening and uh, we would plot out courses which we were never going to walk cuz the bus left at 8 oh. <laughs> but we thought about it a few times one night in bethlehem we were going to go down and see if we could find that key again but instead we stopped for gelato cuz let's be honest that was better oh, man. <laughs> so <laughs> and i'll tell you what man we went to that we lived in bethlehem for a month and we would go down to that gelato joint and eat and have dessert they were some of the nicest people I've ever... It was like walking into Cheers, man. Oh, sure. Hey, it's yeah. the Americans! Get your wallets out! Let's do this! Glenn, you want you want the purple stuff, right? Yeah, he's the purple stuff. I didn't know what it is. It was grape. It was grape, but uh, they like to mess with me. Oh, you want the people flavored? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so, because they all assumed we thought they were scary. Yeah. Because a lot of Americans, when you go on tours there, do not go to Bethlehem. Yeah. Bethlehem is in Palestine. It is behind the wall. And a lot of people just don't want to mess with it.
0: Isn't it kind of like, I mean, isn't like, I mean, you have to be like with certain tour group, tour groups to actually be able to go into Bethlehem. Don't you? you do.
1: And if the Israeli soldiers who run the checkpoint decide you can go in, you can go in. If they don't, um, you ain't. And it used to be during the Bush administration, the first time I went, God bless George W. Bush, um, it was nothing. Yeah. You held your passport up. Americans, get in here. What are you doing? Your
0: money's green. Yeah.
1: Under Obama, it got a little tricky because Obama was openly hostile Mm -hmm. with the Israelis at times. And occasionally they would say, yeah, you don't need to go today.
0: No kidding.
1: Under Trump. I've heard from groups, I never went during that administration, I have heard that it was back to the days of Bush. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> they, they would high-five you and give you money to spend when you went in there. So, um, I don't know what it's like with Biden. I don't plan to go anytime soon. But um, when I went, they were very, very friendly. Mm-hmm. Well, we went when we went in 2011. They were a little, kind of they were a little bit more it. cynical about us yeah. and weren't really sure. And um, you know, the Israelis would tell us during when I went during the Obama years. Uh, well, you know, the 9/11 terrorists came in through Mexico, right? And they came in through Canada. You know that, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> They were suspect of yeah. us. Like, you guys don't take security seriously. How do I know you don't know something that I should know? Uh, you know, and they would just question you and question you. My defense of that is just trying to protect their country. Yeah. I understand. understand but yeah. um, normally, if you got a Republican in the White House, you got a pretty free ticket to do about whatever you want over there. The East, so. Yeah. I don't know. Don't let me affect your votes, but um, if you're ever going to travel to the the Holy Land, I, I guess vote red. I don't, know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to. I don't know what to say there. But uh, now, I'll vote however you want. But I'm serious about the reactions. Uh, it, the Bush years were very different than the Obama years that I went.
0: Well, it's kind of like do you. I was not alive for this, and you were barely when. It was changing on the guard between Carter and Reagan. And we won't get too political on this. It's just. You
1: know, I actually missed that. 85. 80, okay, yeah. My brother was born in 79. So, so he, he would. Okay,
0: so. Well, he he would have
1: used... been on the. Ter- My dad was. Dad had been home from Vietnam for about six years at that point. So.
0: Okay. So, he w- so <clears throat> of course, we remember the Iran hostage situation going mm-hmm. on there in the late 70s and everything. And it was funny they legitimately waited until 12:30 the day Reagan was inaugurated to let those people go my dad is a huge, is a big Reagan fan voted for him twice said that you know that was when he really felt that you know when you voted it mattered and it still does to this point
1: <clears throat> but he's I think it might matter more than ever but uh, I I hear you
0: but uh But he he said that was the funniest thing I ever saw in the news that night. He said, and today President Ronald Reagan took the oath of office today. And in national news, the Iranian hostages that have been held under guard were released today at 12.35 p.m. our time. And he said that was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life, and it it led me to believe.
1: Is he president now? Are you sure? All right, get out of
0: here. (laughs) I mean... No, I, mean, no, if, I mean, if you were a Carter fan, whatever, I mean, that's, like, I, I mean, people argue he got dealt a bad hand, we won't get into all that, but I just, um, I remember studying that in, in high school and in, in U.S. history.
1: I would argue that Ford got the nastier hand, but, he you did. know, because he had to pick up Nixon over, and Agnew. Yeah, he was picking so. up
0: pieces, so, I mean.
1: But, yeah, it. A lot of people don't feel like it matters who your president is. We went over that with. Uh, we're way off topic now, but. Um, <laughs> we went over that when we were reading Animal Farm at Morristown. That, you know, that was one of the questions in one of the packets was, does it matter who your leader is or not? Does power corrupt absolutely? Or are some people capable of wielding that power? And of course, you know, you mentioned Cincinnatus, the legend of Cincinnatus, who took the Faxes, I'm not sure how you say that word. I'm not a big Latin guy. Mm. But he took the control of Rome to protect it from barbarians or whoever was invading, won the war, walked back into the Senate, and handed it back to him and went home. Do Are, are there people out there capable of that? Or yeah. does absolute power corrupt? Absolutely. And it was refreshing to see a lot of the kids thinking that well, it doesn't matter. Trump and Biden are the same guy. And I'm like, yes. But I, and I never thought I would say this because I wasn't his biggest fan. I think he did a lot of good things, but boy, he did a lot of bad things, which I guess you could say about every president. Um. Folks, the Obama years were not that bad. The Bush years weren't that bad. I don't remember the Clinton years being that bad. And I do remember all of those. Yeah. I remember the Gulf War under Bush 1 being a little scary because I was very little. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a time when I was more afraid for this country than I am right now. Because people are just writing acts, doing whatever they want without congressional or Supreme Court approval. And... Regardless of the decision that is made on it, I am relieved to no end that the Supreme Court is hearing the battle on masks because they should be the ones to decide it. Yeah. So any, anyway, that's we'll, way we'll, off topic. We'll, but we'll get
0: off, the, we'll get off that horse, but I mean...
1: I, I but mean, I'm not trying to get political, but I'm saying it matters.
0: Yeah, it does. It, it, really it matters, matters who
1: your leader is. Yeah. We all should take a little more interest in who those people are because... There's there's a lot of kids out there who don't know that the president can't just do whatever they want because for a while now, including the Obama years, president just kind of does yeah, whatever I mean, he wants he, right now. He
0: kind of wrote a blank check. I mean, they can kind of write a blank check for whatever they want to do. And then, and I mean, I talk with people who were supporters of, of Trump, and I mean, it was always one of those best-case scenario kind of things. You know, you had, to, you had to take a little bit of chaff, you know, wheat with the chaff kind of deal, you know, separate it. And, I mean, I have yet to hear my dad, and, and even my dad said this with Reagan. He said, there was a lot of stuff Reagan did. I stood behind 100%. When he did the farm programs in the 80s, they were crap. Because the only thing they wanted to do was to get you to take money on loans. Wasn't actually trying to help you, give you a good price, support your price or anything. It was legitimately trying to, give you, trying to get you to take money that you would have to pay back to try and operate as you had, as their granddads and dads had, for a hundred years before. But then you also look at the way that Reagan wielded the military. You look at the way he ran this country, and I mean, and again, we're not going to get into the politics of it, but I mean, I would honestly say probably going back, I mean, and granted, I'm skipping over a lot, but I mean, Eisenhower was probably the one of the last presidents that we had that people could legitimately get excited about because he was a World War II hero. He had led the Allied forces into victory. That's the kind of guy if that if you had a guy that
1: can managed up, a pretty difficult staff. Mm hmm. I mean with Patton just wanting to run all the way to Moscow and Bradley not wanting to run all the way, I mean it's but we're we're out there in the weeds a little bit, but I guess I'm just trying to say There's goods and bads with everybody, even in ministry. And you need to know. Yeah. Hiding from it doesn't fix anything because those people are in charge. And in a situation where they can do whatever we want, we've kind of found out some people will do whatever they want, and you got to be careful with that. And that's not just the guys at the top or the gals at the top. That's been everywhere, folks. Mm -hmm. and feels a little bit like we've opened the Ark of the Covenant a little bit well, <laughs> on some I of mean, this stuff. and
0: Well, I mean, if you really, if you want to get, not to get cynical, and we'll use this as our transition, if you want to look at it, the people who were actively looking for the Ark of the Covenant in the classic Harrison Ford movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Nazis were looking for it. They were a different group. They were, a to- I mean, they were a group that was led by one man who assumed total control and total power over an entire country. And he was legitimately looking for one of the biggest sources, the sowers source of God's power on earth, as it was described in the book. And you kind of, I mean, you see, they went to the extreme lengths to find this thing, all because they wanted, there was a line in the movie that says, an army that carries the Ark of the Covenant in front of it is invincible. And as we saw, you know...
1: Joshua and the Battle of Jericho.
0: Yeah. I mean, you see the way that World War II played out. Now, granted, this, we're comparing a movie with fact and everything, but, I mean, it kind of it kind of does make you wonder, like, if that actually did happen in 36, 37, when, it, when that movie was supposed to take place, and that had actually happened, he got it and all this, it's kind of a, kind of a scary
1: thought if you think of it so it's scary to think about a lot of things mm-hmm. like that it matters who your leader is okay. so we're going to get out of that and uh, we'll consider later how much of that to keep <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway uh, we're going from the pulpit to the person which is a topic we get on to we kind of share um, you know little things um, that affect our professional and personal lives. And uh, the topic tonight, as it is listed, though he by no means has to follow this, is swearing. Folks, sometimes in life, there's nothing better than just letting out and letting go and getting a good swear or two oh, in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it comes and goes. Um,. You know, you can flip the pinky, the index, the thumb, whatever. Nothing just feels quite as right as a middle finger from time to time. And uh, Pastor Matt's going to talk to us about swearing. So take her away.
0: I'll tell you what, I, I when I was working on the, the script for this episode, I was kind of like, what am I going to do? And, and it is something that my wife catches me on every once in a while. And I mean, it's kind of a twofold thing. Because again, I am a pastor, so I should kind of be... At a little bit of a high, hold myself to a little bit of a higher standard. But also, I've got a two year old daughter, two and a half year old daughter, who is repeating things that I am saying now. This morning was a classic example. For Christmas, my sister got me a cologne trial set to where um, there are these little sample bottles and you're supposed to spray it on, figure out which one you like, and there's a gift certificate in there to go get what you want a full size bottle of it. And I sprayed one on. I kind of uh, this. I don't know if this is me or not. It was uh, uh what was it? it? Was Prada this morning? Oh. Mm mm-hmm. And uh, I, my wife said, "Mmm, that smells good." Is there any left? And I said, "Yeah, there's some in there." And he, she said, "Give it to me." And I said, "It's not unisex." And my my daughter says, "Unisex." And then the uni fell off, and she keeps saying, "Sex, sex." I'm like. Well, congratulations! You just taught your daughter a gonna new word. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what, folks. It is. It is a. <clears throat> there are times where, like with me, with like I say, I I'm a farmer. And we work on machinery, or we work cattle, and um. <sighs> Doggone it, folks! I know the engineers, at international harvester, and I know that the breeders around who are uh, cultivating the next generation of cattle or any kind of livestock, I know they work hard. I know they put a lot of thought into it. And they think they're trying to design something that's going to be easier on the middle user, not the end user, because they're the ones who just have to go to the store and buy it. <clears throat> but... Like this fall, Dad and I were we had to put a new starter in the combine, and we were working on, uh, we were working on it and trying to get it working, trying to get it. Could not. There was one bolt we couldn't get it. Finally, we got it, and got it lined up and got it going. Dad, I asked Dad, I said, "Is it in?" He said, "Yeah, it started." <clears throat> and I said, "Well, hold on to it. I'm about to send this bleep to Jesus." I don't know why I said it. It was just one of those things. We had been, now, Graham, we've been fighting this thing for two weeks. We had to wait like four days to have it started rebuilt. It took us two or three days to get it out, and then the rest of the time was spent putting it back in. Friends, I'm gonna tell you something. I, I can't I can't speak for every pastor, but there's a few pastors I know. They let it fly every once in a while. Is it right? Mmm. Not really. I mean, maybe not. And yeah, we do kind of have to check ourselves a little bit. You know, you're driving down in traffic, and you think, oh, you know, you start, you know, muttering things, and then all of a sudden, you're shouting. You know, what the are you doing, or whatever. And <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, and it's not th- this segment is not designed to try and get give us a scapegoat to say, well. You know, Jesus knows what's on my heart or whatever. That That's not what this is. The point of this segment is to try and tell you that, friends, your pastor is a person too. I hate to break it to you. There, we slip up. We fail every once in a while. Every once in a while. Pretty much every week.
1: And I'm, so, I'm thankful for grace. Mm,
0: but that is that is the thing. We decided to take this occupation on. We were called to do it by God. And the thing about it is we preach grace every single, you know, with every sermon that we give, the grace that we have and the salvation that we find through Jesus and the grace of God. And if that wasn't the case, then, I mean, and you go back and you look at who, you know, Jesus' entourage. You look at the people he hung around with, his disciples. And, I mean... You know, some of these guys were a little bit rough. The you know Peter, he I mean he was a fisherman, and these guys. You ever heard the term "swear like a sailor"? Well, I'm assuming back then even they had you know curse words that they used. Probably not the same that we use now. Maybe maybe so. I don't know. But but it it should speak that. If you slip up and you're talking to us and you let a word flip, you know, slip or whatever, okay, that's not gonna. Okay, I'm not gonna immediately gonna say oh, you shouldn't say that. Oh, you need to repent right now. You need to drop to your knees and ask the good Lord above go for do forgiveness. Or you know, if we were in the in the Catholic religion, you know, twenty Hail Marys for our our fathers or something, you know. Do
1: twenty push-ups,
0: We'll forget it ever happened. There you go. See, but. Friends, we do slip. We let things uh, fall. We let things um, come out that we say that maybe we really shouldn't. But we are all like that. Just because we are a pastor does not mean we are exempt from what's going on in this world, what we're around. And <clears throat> just keep that in mind. When you see the guy up there in the pulpit, maybe he seems a little bit stressed, he might have just let a string fly in the car on the car ride over to the church or on the way home he's probably going to say a, he might say a string on the way home but just keep that in mind and don't let it scare you away from talking to him maybe you're coming from a background where that's all you knew that's how you grew up talking like that all right i still want to talk to jesus talk about jesus with you so just keep that in mind folks And now <clears throat> we are going to move on to our next segment, which is we're talking about Glenn and random crap. And as opposed to the rest of the episode that we've had, which has been at best like herding cats. Um, but we're going to talk this about. This is your show. I mean. Uh, it's both our shows here. I am just a technical advisor on this show and the uh, director, scriptwriter. Um, there you go. Get it all. Production assistant. Um, you're the eye candy, Glenn. You're you're the guy. You're <coughs> Well, the
1: guy. everyone says I have a face for radio. You
0: know, there we go. See? You know, we better not post too many pictures on our Facebook page then.
1: You don't want
0: to scare the mice away. Oh, there we go. See? Now we're going to send it over to Glenn on this one. Glenn, what do you have for us? Because I did not have a note on
1: this one this week. Oh, I think you'll enjoy this one. So, um, over the last year, um, as I've been tutoring a couple less kids, because uh, I was tutoring five or six, at uh, you know, two, three years ago. Um, over the last year or so, I've been getting messages from parents. Why doesn't my kid know geography? Uh, I've got a couple parents that I used to tutor their kids that are homeschooling now. And they are finding that their homeschool curriculum has geography in it. And their kids don't know squat. Geography, while part of the curriculum, is not taught real heavy in schools anymore. And the reason for that is it's commonly believed, I've heard a lot of teachers say it, if you can't read and write, you can't do geography, you can't do science, you can't do all these things. So reading and writing is really what your kid is going to get, mm-hmm. in math When they go to school, there's an hour and a half, two hour block for reading and writing. There's an hour, hour and a half block for math every day in the school day. Well, if you keep a track at home, that's over half the day because a day is seven hours. You got those specials, recess, lunch in there. There's not a lot of room for other things. Mm -hmm. So I had a parent ask me, she said, I just asked my kid what continent England is on. And he doesn't know where England is on the map. And I said, well, that's not surprising. I said, "Um, you got to be patient. They haven't done a lot with geography. And she's like, why not? I don't remember it being that way. I said, because it wasn't. We used to study geography. Our parents used to buy us maps and globes and um, annuals that had this information in it. And I was listening to the great Jim Cornette uh, experience. well no, it was the drive through this last week. And there was an email written to him that I think will clear some of this up for you and may surprise you. I believe that there is a hole in geography because wrestlers don't have hometowns anymore. Hmm. Now I'm going to tell you something real quick. We end our show every time with Good Morning Vladivostok or Good Evening Vladivostok whenever the time, wherever it's according because they're about 18-20 hours or so ahead of us and I think it's funny because I know a city in eastern Russia that no one else in the world seems to know and I was learning the last couple days we were watching some things on the Russian Revolution because yet another movie, The King's Man is covering the topic of Rasputin. Mm-hmm. And during World War I and the Japanese-Russian wars of the early 1900s, Vladivostok at times was Russia's only viable port, and it's 4,000 miles away from St. Petersburg. So that makes things a little dicey. But also, I learned where Huntington Beach, California was, When I learned who Tito Ortiz was, who was a great UFC fighter, still fighting Mm -hmm. in his age. Uh, I learned where Stone Mountain, Georgia was from Jake the Snake Roberts. I learned where Calgary, Alberta, Canada was from the great Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, I could go on and on and on. And all these guys would travel different places and they'd be on TV and you, where the heck is that? And you would look it up. And also, you know, we've heard there's a huge hole in the trucking industry. They're short eighty, hundred thousand 100,000 truckers. Yeah. When my dad, my grandpa was a trucker. Some of my uncles were truckers. My dad even did his share when he was younger. He wasn't, it wasn't his career, but it was something he did. Um my dad would hand me a map when we would go places and I would learn how to get there. As we sit here right now without a map, I could drive you from the outer banks of North Carolina to Los Angeles, California without a map. It's just something we focused on more because the world was bigger. Mm -hmm. And there was just more of a focus on origins where people came from, why that was important today. Today, Again, we're, we're flirting with political, but it's just not deemed as important where you came from. Your home, your culture, who you are and where you came from is less important today than it has ever been. And if you want your kids to know geography and why places are different and why lines are drawn on the map the way that they are, first of all, make sure you know. <laughs> it helps. World War Two gets tricky. <laughs> um, you know, because... A lot of people don't know that Israel had to fight a war for independence because England controlled it, and then they just up and left. Yeah. Yeah, Let's see. Fight it out. So, if you want your children to know geography, and I'm about to say something very scary, you may have to handle that at home, which I know is scary. But things like wrestling... Intercollegiate athletics, even professional sports have become irrelevant to this point because every arena looks the same. Mm -hmm. Every team acts the same. And there's just a push for all of us to kind of be the same. And I don't like it. I know that I'm a little different because I'm from Indiana. And I went to a seminary in Azusa, California. And people told me all the time, wow, Glenn, you're different. I got a full-ride scholarship to my first year of seminary because they told me, wow, you're really different. We'd love to have you out here. Being different's okay.
0: There's nothing wrong with
1: it. And being who you are and where you're from, there's nothing wrong with that either. But if you want it taught, you're going to have to cover it at home because, one, teachers don't have a lot of time for it, and two, the world has deemed that to just not be a very important thing anymore. If you want it to be, you've got to make it. As it is with a lot of things in life, you get what you put in.
0: You know, I've got a. It's funny you mentioned that. I, uh, as I've mentioned, I run. A, I'm an auctioneer, and I run an auction company, and it's literally just Heath Auctioneering, um, kind of a sponsor of the show. Um, but uh, when I started, I lived at home, and my address was Wilkinson, Indiana. And after I got married, my wife and I... Well, before we got married, we bought a house. And when I moved, I had to change all my stuff. All my address, forward information, all that stuff. And, uh... And, uh... I'll tell you what. I... My address went from Wilkinson to Greenfield. Well, there's 101 auctioneers in Greenfield. Everybody knows Greenfield. Not many people know Wilkinson, Indiana. And Wilkinson is a... I grew up with Wilkinson. Driving
1: Metropolis? Uh, well,
0: I mean, we do have a Dollar General. So, I mean... And a post office. And a post office, yes.
1: That's ritzing it up. I man. mean, I'll tell
0: you what. I and mean, we have a pizza place in, in Wilkinson, too. See, Great Susie's. Burning it down. Oh, man.
1: You can't claim McDonald's. That's Knightstown. Nice that is
0: nice We it. If it was 500 feet the other way, we might have skirted it. Knightstown
1: will drop the mitts. So I'm telling
0: you. Oh, man. You. They, they, they are territorial on some of that stuff. But, um... I grew up. I mean, my dad went to the elementary school in Wilkinson, Indiana. I mean, I I've always felt a connection with that town, and I am to the day I die. I will say I am from Wilkinson, Indiana. And typically, when I tell people where you you know if I see somebody, oh, where are you from? Well, Wilkinson, Indiana. All right, where's that at? And of course, you have to go through, and it's a it's a classic Midwest thing. You have to name the next biggest town next to you. Well, do you know where Anderson or Greenfield or Newcastle is? Yeah, I know where Anderson is. I'm about 10, 15 miles straight south of Anderson.
1: Between Newcastle and Anderson, or from my California friends, Indianapolis.
0: Pretty much. I mean,
1: and that's, and you know, it gets further. You know, you go to Israel, Chicago.
0: That, oh, we are wow.
1: nowhere near Chicago. But, but that we, at least gives them something. We're like, oh, I've heard of that.
0: We're a good three hours away from Chicago. But we digress and we go off. Well, now, friends, going from random to, to something that's solid, we're going but to... Don't
1: hear us, Harry.
0: I mean, we're going to the farm report from the second worst farmer in the state. We're looking at you, Harry. And I had decided... As we're going into the new year, I'm not going to hold a grudge anymore.
1: That's my resolution this year. Are you going to be like these politicians we can't seem to stop talking about today and not be able to keep your word on that. You're going to promise more than you can deliver? I
0: don't know. I mean, I I, I say this. I mean, I, I was going in, I was like, you know what? Good for
1: you, props.
0: I mean, I need to bury the hatchet. But on the other hand, Harry knows what he did, and I'll, I'll tell you I'll what. I'll Harry. I'll tell you what, this guy is just, I mean, he just, he just burns my bacon. I tell you what. your tater? I mean, I, I tell you what, I mean, granted, I, I won't go into the specifics of it. I, I will say this. Um, we have asked about trying to deliver all these little tidbits about why I hold a grudge against Harry. And the fact of the matter is, I'm going to give you another little tidbit to work on. I know there's a lot of true, 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 true. True crime fans out there, I'm going to give you another clue here. The clue is that once upon a time, Harry borrowed something of mine and returned it. And that's it. That's all I'm going to give you right now. It goes deeper than that. It's a whole story. Maybe I'll hold on to it. Maybe I'll own. I don't know. But this week, I want to talk about I was supposed to talk about it on our Christmas uh, on last week's episode, but I didn't. I got wrapped up in all the the goodies I got, um, and uh, talking about my <sighs> <coughs> purchase of the turbo, ma'am. Uh, but actually, on Christmas Eve, I uh, had a brand, I had a new calf born that day, and um, it is one of those things that. I've always kind of correlated calf, a calf being born when I first started ministry because I wasn't doing it every Sunday. Um, it, it, I I kid you not, Glenn. Every time I'd go in the pulpit, I had a new calf born on the ground that day. And uh, you know, it, it was just one of those things. Like, well, maybe that's kind of what God trying to tell me to do. I think so. And
1: <clears throat> I'll cover for that. I think you're safe.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what. Uh, this 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 calf kind of carried it was a, carried a little bit more. And I kind of had that feeling again because, um, as I've mentioned, Christmas Eve service was the first time that that my church had had it for a long time, if ever. And I was kind of struggling. I was like, well, is this really a good idea? We'll try it once. If it doesn't work, we'll just kind of let it go. And it's an experience we've all done, and we can move on. But with that little guy being born that day kind of led me to believe that maybe I'm on to something here. Maybe there's something, maybe there's new, um, maybe there's new life in this ministry here. I don't know. But uh, the reason why this is in the farm report is because it does stress the whole point that even though we may not be out in the field, uh, we're still working. You know, we're still, we don't get a day off. I mean, we, we just don't. Tomorrow, I tomorrow is New Year's Eve, and I've got a laundry list of stuff that needs to get done. And uh, you know, doesn't take a break. Feeding this world is not something that's a nine to five job. I mean, Glenn can tell you. I've come in for to help with youth group, and I've come in with feed dust all over me or mud on my pants or whatever. And uh, but I still dive in. I jump. You know, I jump in. I do it. And um, uh, you know, that, just keep that in mind when you're eating your hamburger or you're eating, you know, whatever tomorrow night for New Year's Eve. Or if you're drinking, even. That, uh, <clears throat> that wonderful, uh, Jack Daniels Saramash Mash Whiskey that you're going to be drinking, you can thank a farmer for that. Because the grain that went in that probably came from one of his fields. So, um, other updates on the Farm Report. Uh... The, mar- the commodities markets are holding very steady, very, very well going into the new year. Farm machinery prices are standing still as well. And on a continual uh, increase, and I've actually was talking with a few friends, a few industry insiders, who and I've asked them, I said, do you think we're in a bubble? And they, they one guy said, well, no, 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 I think we're just kind of starting to see everybody come out and start spending the money on it. And another one said, absolutely, this is exactly what you saw with the dot-com bubble is what you saw with the housing thing and in 2009. Um, so just kind of, boys, if you're out there and you're listening, keep your nose to the grindstone, but pe- keep a weathered eye on that horizon because something's coming. I don't know what. It could be good and it could be bad, but we're all in this together. Now we're going to move on to what our wives have to look forward to, or rather what Miss Lauren Davis has to look forward to. To. This is a segment of the show where we investigate the aspect that, as men, we kind of become our fathers as the time goes on, whether we want to admit it or not. And as we have heard, Glenn's dad is quite the riot act. Glenn, what do you have for us this week?
1: Oh, about a month or so ago, we are sitting at a restaurant called Jackie's in Gas City. Not a sponsor yet. And uh, Jackie's has been around for a long time. My dad and his friends used to go there and eat back when he worked at AEP Marion back in the early 90s, late 80s. So it's been around a while. And um, Jackie's is run by a wonderful lady named Jackie. Go figure. And she's been sure to help for a while. And their food there is delightful. I can... Confirm some wonderful food.
0: Some of that good down home cooking, is it? That Midwest cooking? It's
1: hot, made with love.
0: Ooh, that's the best stuff right there, let me tell you.
1: Reasonable prices. It's a great place to go. Little hometown diner. So uh, we were eating in there. My dad has become friends with Jackie over the years because he's worked in that area and come in there and eat, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. And uh, my dad's good friend, Al Mendenhall, would go in there. We see him in there all the time now that they're retired. And my dad was just perplexed. Because they only had one person in there working with Jackie and one person on the grill. And my dad starts nudging my mom about how nice it would be to work there. (laughs) He didn't. My mother said, Tom, if you could shut up, that'd be fine. (laughs)
0: Because
1: for those of you who don't know, My mother has been several things over the years. She's been a teacher's aide. She's been a line cook. She has been the clerk-treasurer, elected three times for Fowlerton, Indiana.
0: That's pretty prestigious right there.
1: And Jackie knows my mom. Jackie respects my mom. They would come and eat at her restaurant when she had one from time to time. She kind of hears this. She comes over. And my dad starts bartering a salary for my mom to start working with Are you serious? And my mother, who is going, or has become, she's going to turn 70 years old next September. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't look a day of it. She, she, in fact, my I, mother's lost 60, 70 pounds. She looks tremendous right now. I didn't now. know
0: your mom was that old. I thought she was maybe late 50s, early 60s when I met her. Uh,
1: other than dealing with a little skin cancer, she's in great health. Yeah. And, um, she, she did what she always does, which was right there. She kicks my dad in the shin. Shut up. My mom doesn't want a job. She was terrified of retirement. Uh, she didn't want to give up the clerk treasurer gig cause she just thought she wouldn't have anything to do.
0: Well, that's fair,
1: fair. She wanted the salary. Well, it turns out her retirement pays more than she was making doing that job <laughs> and she's got more to do now than she ever has. Well, She actually has time to do gardening and take Madison places and see games and uh, help my dad not to make a complete, you know, chuck wagon of himself. And she's enjoying that. Tom, stop it. Because if Jackie offers my mother a job, my mother will take it. And she knows we're at a very important crossroads here. And Jackie kind of walked away, and Dad goes, Well, don't you want to work here? And she looks at him and loud enough for everyone to hear goes, No, <laughs> I don't. I said, Tom, I like eating here. Quit making this awkward. <laughs> and I just sat back and let him go. Sometimes I get a kick out of watching it. I'm like, Is this what it looked like when me and Dad argued to you? And she's like, Shut up. And <laughs> And um, so, yeah, um, my 71-year-old father, who will be 72 in a couple weeks, January 8th, shares a birthday with Elvis, not a big deal, mm-hmm. though uh, my grandmother, his mom, was a monster Elvis fan, and there's a family folktale that she held off birth for over an hour to make sure my father was born. On Elvis's birthday.
0: You're serious.
1: that's I, that's the folktale. I don't know how true that is. She's not around to ask and you better know if she was alive I'd asked her by now <laughs> my grandparents were my grandparents were fascinating people. My grandfather drove a truck for 50 years. My, my grandmother was in the same class as James Dean. My grandmother, my mom's mom, was essentially from Germany. She married a World War II veteran. And then she married another World War II veteran. One was in Europe. One was in Asia. My grandparents were fascinating people. So I'll never know. But there's that. So my 72-year-old father tried to get my 70-year-old mother
0: to try and take a, a job, job.
1: <laughs> I mean that's that's gotta be a long car ride home I mean well I told mom I said well we'll go through Chappie's here which is a drive through convenience store if you've never been to one they're so fun they are fun you don't have to get out of the car nothing and uh, I got my 44 ounce whatever and, and my Spongebob ice cream bar or whatever I got and I looked at mom and I said quick ask ask him for an application see <laughs> <gets> I <it." laughs> And Dad turned around, and goes, "What are you guys talking about?" And I said, "Trying to get you a job, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> he didn't particularly care for oh. that, so so I think we we are, we're going to call that one a draw. I think <laughs> so. But yes, I now can tell the story. It's a great tagline. My seventy-two-year-old father tried to get my seventy-year-old mother a job, <laughs> and I got to tell you, it made me feel patriotic in this, you know, struggling economy that my dad thought my mom needed to work. So, uh, but yeah, he'll live that down never.
0: Oh, maybe he's just tired of having her around the house.
1: Well, I think you could say the same thing about her w- with him, so. <laughs> ah, they'll be fine, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: They, they've they been together, what, 40-some years, I'm assuming?
1: They've been together a while.
0: Yeah, they'll Let's over. see,
1: Kyle's 42, so, yeah, they're probably getting close to 50. So, yeah, oh, man. See, at least probably 47, 46, 47. So, yeah, they've been together a while. So, um, we're now going to move on to our How's the Kids segments. I don't I don't have kids. Um, this week, I, I have cats and I have a dog. And this week, I had an interesting thing happen. So, um, Jezebel is our oldest cat. She's a black kitty. She's very small. And uh, we love black kitties at our house, so we've agreed that's all we're ever going to have. Oh, well then. And because um, you know what? Maybe they're bad luck, but we like bad luck. So you why know, not?
0: I'll be honest. I'm actually one of those guys. I'm a superstitious guy on that because there was a guy that I used to. He used to come out in the stockyards where I work, and he. <clears throat> there was a black cat that hung around. He was a barn cat, you know, whatever would legitimately walk in front of you if you were going down the aisle to look at stop. And he said, Quick, take your hat off. I said, What? Take your hat off. He took his hat off too and hopped a loogie into the hat and put it back on his head. Because, he said, the two ways that you counteract the way a black cat crossed your path, you either spit in your hand and rub it on your head or you spit in your hat and you put it back on.
1: I'd rather just have bad luck, bro.
0: That's the reason why I burned through hats so dang quick.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. So, oh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel like, you
0: know, going that deep, but
1: I had to. Well, Jezebel's 13, and she, Lauren and I have been married 11 and a half years, so she actually predates our marriage. Hmm. And um, Jezebel is Lauren's cat through and through, though she will acknowledge me from time to time and Lauren and I switched sides of the bed recently because Lauren was having trouble with her, her leg going numb and her back bothering her, and this helped. So we switched sides, and Jezebel is not taking it well, and she likes to sleep behind Lauren's knees because once Lauren's asleep, she doesn't move. And I'm sure that's a very warm spot mm-hmm. for her to get in there. And I move all the time. So, usually it's about three thirty, four 4 o'clock in the morning. I'll be awakened to fuzz on my foot. Still not used to it to sleep through it yet. Jezebel's laying on my feet. So, I very gently take my feet out and move them. And recently, I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't look up to see it. So, I'm not sure what happened. But I'll explain it to you as best I can. I took my feet out from under and went to move them. And I guessed wrong. Her body felt was on the other side where I put my feet down again. I thought, oh, well, shoot. And I went to move my feet again, picked them up, placed them down. And I heard a thunk. I was like, what was that? And Lauren said, what was that? I was like, I have a feeling I know. (laughs) uh... So I looked over the edge of the bed and Jezebel stood up. And kind of couldn't get her balance, and she bumped into the wall, and she finally looked up, like, was I dreaming? Or, like, she's just kind of coming to. I don't know if she fell. I don't feel like I kicked her. But she fell off that bed and busted her hind end. Completely asleep. And scared, about scared the daylights out of us. And, um... So, Lauren now refers to it as me yeeting her to the floor, which I did not do. But that and Asa and Cleo both have problems with their ears, so I feel like the vet is in our near future. Mm -hmm. So, just a heads up to you as you watch them next week. The ears, watch it. They're both...
0: If they come out and see me, I mean, it's kind of a a toss of the coin if they do.
1: Well, particularly Cleo will run off and she'll scare the crap out of you, but... God love her. She's getting old too. She's eleven, yeah. so she's getting up if, there in years. She, but if Ace is having the ear problem, it's not just hers. So we gotta figure out what's see, what's it going could be on. Anything, yeah. So we'll be visiting our friendly um, oldest dirt doctor, and he'll handle it. And those are
0: the best ones, though. Let me they are the, best they ones. are the best he ones. He handled her
1: well. The problem is we gotta get her in some kind of crate. Ooh. And recently we did that, so we've used one of those up. Yeah. Ooh. She's got a little card. You can only punch that card so many times before she's not gonna even come out. but she's becoming more reclusive and we can tell it's bothering her so we're, even if we have to just go in and get the medicine since he's seen her, we're gonna have to figure something out.
0: yeah
1: well, I feel bad about that. I, I'm not really sure what's wrong with him. We really need to find out and so that's what's going on with the kids. So, Lorraine is now almost a full week out of Christmas. How's she doing? I'll tell
0: you what. <clears throat> she is recovering fairly well from the uh, from the whole Christmas bacchanalia. That's been my favorite word to say describe the Christmas holiday. Um, because, <clears throat> and it will be for another couple weeks, because every year at Christmas Eve, I listen to Gene Shepherd's original radio broadcast of him reading... The Christmas Story, or uh, the original title is called uh, Red Rider Gets His Man, or the or, uh, Red R—I think it's Red Rider uh, Guns—and uh, or the Cleveland Street Kid, and uh, <clears throat> she is recovering fairly well from it. Um, she is. Uh, I'll tell you what, she has been enjoying all the gifts she got. She got more than... I think she got more than me and Christy and my dad and my sister all combined got. Um, but, I mean, you know, my my sister doesn't have any kids of her own. This is her first niece. Um, so she kind of wants to take her and, you know, do that kind of stuff for her and everything. Um, you know, she just... She just loves her. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I, we're she's, I'm trying. We're trying not to correlate gifts with love and everything, but you know, I we do try to show try to you know try to show Lorraine that when somebody gives you something, you should be appreciative and that you should um, be thankful for it, and that you know it, it means a lot to them it can mean a lot to a person to give you that gift and to receive that gift, which is pretty much the the spirit of the season. Um, But she has been doing marvelous with it. Um, You know, we... uh, She's really... Of course, we're starting to run into a little bit of an issue... Not really an issue, but with... We got her a... uh, Uh, a fire tablet this year, a kid's fire tablet. And she can play games on it and everything. And, I mean, we've kind of gotten it down to where she can play on it for about an hour a day. I know some people say, you know, I always kind of used to make fun of, you know, parents who said, well, we have screen time for little Jimmy. I'll tell you what, man, you kind of want to have that because if they don't, they lose that imagination. They lose the ability to make their own play. And the rain was so good at that, and I think that's the reason why she's kind of handling it fairly well. But, um, you know, we're kind of putting up pretty, some pretty good guidelines on it. You know, you can play with it. Uh, <clears throat> let's say, you know, you can play with it for, you know, 15, 20 minutes after dinner. Excuse me. <clears throat> and she can play with it for a few minutes in the day. Um... So, but she's starting to kind of, at first she was like, why can't I just keep playing with it? It's like, well, honey, you kind of have to do things, you know, you kind of have to do other things, you know. So she's starting to get accustomed to that a little bit and work with that and everything, but. But on the end of it, um, she is great. Um, Excited for New Year's. I doubt she gets to midnight tomorrow night. Probably be about nine nine thirty, and she'll be zonked, um, which isn't Tomorrow's gonna. her's
1: gonna come, whether I'm up or not. Yeah,
0: pretty much. So, uh, but she's doing great as always. And now we're gonna move on to a section called the commercials that tick Glenn off. I can't tell for a back on the ones that are drawing the ire of Pastor Glenn, or the ones that he really enjoys. Friends, I'm on pins and needles to find out this week, as you should be. Glenn, take us there.
1: We are on the ones I like.
0: There we
1: go. So there is a set of commercials every year with college football called Fansville. And I've got to admit, it's a setup to be commercials that that I could just despise. But if I'm not mistaken, the sheriff of Fansville is Kurt Russell.
0: I do believe which you're... helps it yes
1: and they just cover some really really fun stuff like at one point their son wants to go to tech but their're state <laughs> and they have this huge talking to like you have tech stuff under your bed oh my gosh and he's wearing different color face paint and uh but, but I want to be a techie or whatever and they have another one where they're in their ho- We're in. They're in the hospital, and the doctor went to a different school, and it's a whole thing. Oh, and gosh. the most recent one I've been enjoying is, um, sheriff pulls up and walks up to the guy's house, and he's still got his face painted up and everything. And he says, hey, "I had a report of some stolen goalposts from the game recently." And he says, "Oh, well, isn't that strange?" And it pans out, and his son's got a swing set built on the goalposts. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he says, no, this is a Swedish-style uh, swing set. It's real popular in Northern Europe. You might want to check the neighbors, though. Their satellite dish is a little suspect. <laughs> and it's a TV thing on top of a goalpost. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you kindly, sir. He's like, yep, I'll keep my eyes open. <laughs> Just brilliant, brilliant, comedic. I mean, it's, it's relevant, it's funny, it's not corny. It makes sense. So um, I've been thoroughly enjoying the Fansville commercials. There's a new one I didn't really pay attention to earlier. I caught towards the end of it. There's one where they're talking about the end of the season and the end of Fansville. So we'll see where that goes. Um, football, we're moving into the playoffs, which becomes a dark time because we're pretty close to not having football for a while. Well,
0: we'll and we're not basketball.
1: quite to baseball yet. Yeah, so with wow. spring training prepping to kick up. In sports, being outside again, that's exciting to mm-hmm. me. Because, you know, you can go to those games, you don't have to worry much about masks or being around people. So, um, there you go.
0: I was worried, but I saw—I couldn't remember if it's that commercial because every time it comes on a drive, this is a commercial that drives me up the wall.
1: It'll take her away.
0: It, it, it's the one where <clears throat> the guy's literally sitting there, he's eating a, bo- a bucket of popcorn. That's for the, the online sports betting, which just, became legal in the state of Indiana, I don't know, a year or two ago. And the guy's literally just sitting there watching the game, and the guy comes on and says, It's game time, baby! And squeaks his voice so loud, and it's so annoying, and I'm like, who cares? I don't... And usually it comes up when I'm watching, like, my Hulu or my YouTube stuff or whatever, and and you can't skip the commercial. You cannot on YouTube. It makes you listen to it all the way. It's only a 15-second commercial, but it feels like 15 hours, Glenn. <sighs> but I'm going to move on. Hmm. I'm going to move on. And now we come into the new, uh, this new segment that Glenn has swapped out, which is, what's new in lectionary? As we mentioned, Glenn is the pastor at uh, Willow Branch United Methodist Church which is a a denomination in the Christian faith. And they have what's called a lectionary calendar that they go by that is uh, on a rotation every year. And uh, we're going to see what's going on this week in Glenn's world.
1: Glenn, what's going on? Well, I don't want to necessarily broadcast this to the world, but we do have several, and I do mean several cameras on our house, one of which is in our bedroom. I found out this morning. Oh man! Um, my OnlyFans account is—I I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, <laughs> I still—I um,
0: mean, I pay the five bucks a month. I mean, I I want I want to see.
1: I am a boring, boring person. <laughs> Only people who who enjoy being tortured would, and they, and they're out there, <laughs> uh, would possibly enjoy that. because um, I. I, I, I wear pajamas. I'm, I'm not doing much in there other than sleeping. So, I mean, wasting your five bucks unless that's what you're into. I mean, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anywho, uh, we're going to be out. I mentioned that because we're going to be out of town next week and um, going to uh, Dare County, North Carolina.
0: Lucky.
1: Home of Roanoke Island. Yes, that Roanoke Island the first uh, attempted settlement by the British and the American colonies. It failed miserably because they wouldn't stop killing natives. Um, it is also the home of the first flight where um, yeah. Fowlerton, well, at least one of them was a Fowlerton native, and, Orville and Wilbur Wright, uh, flew their first flights at Kitty Hawk, which is there as well. We, our, in fact, our hotel is not far from that site. Really? And... Um, yeah, truth, truth be told, they mentioned some of their origins. Their father was a, the minister at a church, I uh, think, Pres, I'd have to look it up again. Presbyterian? Yeah, I,
0: yeah Presbyterian.
1: There was a church um, there in Fowlerton that has been torn down since, and they fought that. I guess the Wright's father mm-hmm. was a minister there for several years. Yeah. Um. Orville and Wilbur were known in that area. And the house they grew up in, unfortunately, got torn down as well. Fowlerton dropped the ever-loving ball on some money-making opportunities there because Fairmount is known for James Dean. Fairmount is known for Garfield. We could have had that with Orville and Wilbur, but it didn't happen. In fact... The field directly to the north of my house, one of their early planes landed in that field. Really? So, just a little bit of nostalgia for you. Ooh, I love it. So, we'll be out there for the next few days, and we're going to stop at Gettysburg. None of the buildings are open because it's winter, and apparently the federal government doesn't open national battlefields in the winter. But you can drive the tour, and, and I really, the the one thing I want to see at Gettysburg is the High Water Monument. Mm. If you don't know what that is, they put a mark where the Confederate—I believe it was either where photographic evidence suggested or they found casualties of the Confederacy there. It was the furthest point they got into the lines of the Union, and it's called the high water mark because that was as close as they got to being an independent nation. Yeah, I really want to see that that place. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not super concerned with other parts of the battlefield. That's one I would like to have a picture of and because it's, it's American history yeah, exactly. and you can't it's help. all I mean, it's also a showing of the struggle that one Southerners made to have their own way, but also the federal government and federal soldiers made to preserve the Union. and mm-hmm. it's, it's, I I feel like it's going to be a special place.
0: It's a very, my dad went when he was a kid. And, and uh, he said it, it is one of them of course as a kid you kind of get bored real easy but he said you walk around there's cannons there and everything and these cannons and this was back in the 60's he said those cannons they were and a lot of people and apparently I looked it up but it's still true those cannons are in operating order as of today they are inspected they are cleaned and you could if I mean, if push came to shove and this country, for whatever reason, needed 10-pounder cannons, go to Gettysburg and get them. And the balls are stacked up right there. Like, it, you know, the fight could literally pick up tomorrow. But
1: I feel like the American Moab makes the uh, 10-pounder useless. But nevertheless.
0: Well, I'm just saying.
1: If you need to put down a rebellion.
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, Eisenhower settled his farm there on Gettysburg. And he was, when he was there, uh, Mamie was still alive. And uh, it was still very much, it was like the White House. They said if the flag was up, she was home. If the flag was down, she wasn't there. And that day, she, the flag was up, she was at home. And Dad thought it was great because he was a cattleman. He, I mean, he literally was this guy um, who retired, who came out of politics, retired from everything, from the public eye. And literally became a gentleman farmer. And that, my grandfather, he just thought that was aces. I mean, the guy who literally led, he was a merchant marine in World War II. He was, you know, the guy could literally do no wrong in my grandfather's eye. And in my dad's, too. And in mine. Um, But, uh, you know, of course, growing up, I'm a fifth-generation farmer. So, I mean, you kind of have to admire a guy who literally went through all that in europe all that here in the states and then literally retired to work the land so yeah i'm i'm slightly jealous that you get to go there and experience all this
1: well and and it's it's an interesting thing because we might also go to yorktown we've been to jamestown mm-hmm. um but all that to say that this week i'm going to miss something on the uh, lectionary called epiphany Epiphany, of course, being the sudden realization of great truth, where Peter realizes that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And I couple that with New Year's resolutions, because Peter, I can imagine, had resolved himself that he was going to take things more seriously. He was going to listen to this guy. And, oh my goodness, he couldn't stop stumbling over himself to the point where Jesus says, Yeah, tonight you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no way. Knowing Jesus is the Messiah, yeah.
0: He's still... knowing
1: this is basically somewhat God here with us, didn't get it. So I usually couple that, and I will when I get home. I will miss Epiphany, but I will preach on it. Um, I usually frame it around New Year's resolutions, and um, we're going to be having an installation of officers for the first time. Um, it's not something I was big on. In fact, I will tell you, I was an outright rebellion against it. Um, I have come to accept it. I have signed a conditional surrender in terms on this. Um, in the United Methodist Church, when you sign, when you sign up to hold an office, you are expected to hold it for three years. We do three year terms. Uh, the pastor is accountable every year to the conference, but if you're in a local church office, it's every three years. And I've had issues, at, particularly at Willow Branch, with people not knowing they're on committees or people saying they want to be asked every year whether they're on a committee or not. Uh, let's be honest, we've been through this here in meetings. It doesn't matter who hears this. I don't like that. Um, if I sign up to do a three-year term, unless I want to go and resign to the person I agreed to do that three-year term with, I should probably do that term, not Mm -hmm. expect a phone call. Well, do you still want to be governor? You're doing the job. (laughs) Like, so the installation of officers will be coupled with a resolution sermon. In an effort to make sure people know what they're doing in Mm -hmm. the church and to make sure that people know if you don't want to do this, there is an opportunity to come and tell me because I just can't bring myself to go and seek that out. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't think I am. And I fought it up for a while, but
0: what are you going to do?
1: So that's what we are working on with the lectionary. Um,. And I would ask you, just to get this in, since we flirted with politics, and I do apologize. um, Who is Jesus to you? Because that is what leads to epiphany. Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? That's a very important question. And one of the formative questions of my ministry is I will ask people, sometimes on a weekly basis, well, who who do you think Jesus is? That's usually how you answer most of the questions you get. As a pastor, when people come to you, well, I'm just Well, who is Jesus to you? Can he handle that? So, epiphany, folks. It is upon us. So, now Matt's going to tell us something that's bugging him. Um, arrogant people, um, just know if you will come upon me as if you are better than me. In fact, I was talking to my goddaughter about this just last night. Uh, she asked me, how how do you handle someone who's kind of a jerk and um, lords things over you? And I told her, and this is absolutely true for anyone out there who knows me. Um, I told her, don't get angry, get even. I have served in some lowly places in my ministry. I'm just now to the point where I am ascending to places where I have some kind of authoritative nature or say-so and things. And I've told people along the way, oh, don't worry, I'll have that job eventually. (laughs) And all of the ministers that I grew up under, a lot of the people that I served in positions under, and especially the ones who have been rude to me, or, well, who are you? I hold a position of authority over them now, Mm -hmm. and um, I don't lord it. But I do remind people, be careful how you treat those who can't do anything for you, because someday you might answer to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm eager to hear Matt's take on arrogance, because for reasons that will remain unsaid, Matt and I have had these conversations in regards to different folks, and... He's had his opportunity to get even, and he was very gracious. So, um, Matt, tell us about Arrogant, folks. I'm eager to hear this.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. It started
1: out, it was actually about
0: uh, about arrogance in today's youth. Um, <clears throat> it was about uh, talking about... I was thinking about... Um, A couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go in and talk to um, uh, a group, a couple groups of kids who were in ag class. They were studying um, careers in agriculture, and uh, one of the careers they can talk about, of course, is farmers. But the one thing that the ag teacher, I've gotten to know very well, uh, she always has me come in and talk about it, is the auction industry and becoming an auctioneer, and... In my course of talking with them about this, I I come to the realization very quickly that there were some kids, they just, they got into it. I mean, they were like, this is cool, we like talking about this, um, you know, how, how in the world can you talk so fast, whatever, um, and you know, they just really got into it and they dug deep on it and then i turn and there's another group of, of kids in there and i and they they are walking around with what feels to me like a chip on on their shoulder and i i don't get it i mean maybe and i mean I, I know that you know we all act we all act like dumb teenagers and we think we have the world by you know by the tail and all this thing all these things and we think that, um, you know, we have all the answers at 15, 16. But at the end of it, we don't know any more than we did when we started out. Maybe less so. And I just... And Glenn, Glenn you and I have talked about this a time or two, about these the, the egos in these kids and the arrogance in these kids. I mean... And granted, it's been a few years since I've experienced all this and everything. But at the flip side of the coin, I don't. As an adult looking back, in like, where in the world is this coming from? I don't get it. I mean, I just, and I mean, and then, and then, of course, the longer I set in on this, the more, the bigger and bigger the problem gets. And I mean, like I said, Glenn and I have talked about this a lot with arrogance in in people and. The problem is, folks, that for some reason people think that arrogance gets them ahead in life. I'm here to tell you right now, arrogance does not do anything except burn a bridge that you might need to cross again later on in life. And I I and as again, as Glenn has said, I, I don't I don't dive too deep into this, but there's been opportunities in my young ministry where I've had an opportunity to to throw them under the bus and truth be told I thought long and hard about taking that opportunity I didn't well it depends on how you want to look at it I had an opportunity I, I created a way for myself to pull myself out of a situation that was not beneficial to anybody that was not Glorifying to my ministry, and um, it kind of, you know, threw the the person, the other person that this involved, into a little bit of a tailspin and scrambling to try and. Well, I won't go into the details, but it was not exactly. I when I when I left the situation, I immediately felt better. I knew that that was what God had called me for. You know, called me away from. Um but I don't get it. I've worked with arrogant people. I work with arrogant people. Um, and I, I don't get, why in the world do we automatically feel just because we have this car, we have this job, we have this amount of money, whatever. Why do we need to be arrogant about it? I can be happy for you. If you've got a great job and you're making sixty, 000, eighty thousand dollars 80000 a year and you're driving a brand new Ford, Diesel. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. I am. But I don't understand why you have to throw it in people's face. Let people be happy for you on their terms. How? Why in the world do you get to decide how other people feel? I don't get it. How other people interpret you.
1: Short answer is you don't.
0: I mean, I just, I don't get, I mean, this literally, I don't get. Um, I've tried to talk with people about and things and, and about certain things. And I'll, you know, when I bought my new truck this year—well, new to me—you know, people said, "Oh, yeah, that's great," but I've got a 2017, and it's got this, this, and this. And I'm like, okay. Now I'm kind of happy for myself, and I'm glad for you. But I'm just trying to show you, you know, tell you what I have. You know, you asked, and that's the thing. That that's another thing. People will ask questions about certain things in your life to interject and tell you what's going on in their life. And when people do that, I hate to break it to you, but they don't give a crap about what you've got going on in your life. What they care is, it's an avenue for them to brag about what they have. And it's okay, I mean, if you want to brag about what you got, hey, again, I'm happy for you. If you're doing great in life, that's great. But don't be arrogant about it. That's all I ask. I don't understand it. I don't understand why the kids are like this, and I don't understand why some adults are like this. If that's the way you want to do things, that's fine. But don't expect when you call to have a bunch of friends help you. If you need help, don't expect a bunch of your buddies, your quote-unquote buddies to come around and help you. Because more than likely, they're just around for the show. They ain't around for the aftermath. So I'm going to get off of that and talk about something that actually I do understand. And other news in the schools. We're, this is an aspect. We all know that the, uh, the football, the basketball teams, they get the ink and in the paper. but There's a lot of aspects inside the schools that need the attention because they are truly changing lives. And Glenn has for us a wonderful thing to be talked about. Glenn?
1: you know a lot of people like to be critical of teachers and um, well they get like eight or nine breaks and then they have spring break and these other things well I'm here to defend teachers usually at every cost Um, I'm going to tell you right now I've said this before not sure on this particular platform, but um, I had some bad teachers in high school. Um, I had a football coach that didn't seem to give the first care about me, and I ended up basically crippled. Um, I had a math teacher that didn't understand why I wasn't learning and basically left me behind. I get there are bad teachers. That's not what I'm saying. Most teachers are working their tail off trying everything that they can to stay in that profession you know Matt talks about how does a kid get into farming these days if you're not already in it there's no way to get in it well teaching is the same way you get paid nothing you got to buy your own supplies you got to deal with the class clown kids that don't want to be there kids that are being abused kids that are homeless kids that have been kicked out of their homes they're trying And Christmas break is a chance for teachers to get away and be around their families and reset. And they come back to school January 1st or 4th or 8th or whenever they do. And that is the brightest you will see them because they went home, recharged, and decided, I still want to do this. So when you send your kids back to school... Send them back with a note, and burn, burn that light even brighter, and your kid will get a lot more out of the second semester, because I guarantee you, more of them did than didn't. They went home and they had a crisis. Do I still want to do this? Can I still do this? And they said yes when they come back. So it's cliche at this point. I don't really care. Folks, we need to invest more in our teachers, and if you don't want to give them more money, that's fine. I think you're fooling yourself a little bit with where that tax money's actually going. If it's not going to the teachers, I promise you it's not coming back to you. Um, I've seen a lot of teachers seamlessly break into their second semester work They start preparing kids for the I-STEP, the I-LEARN, the I-READ, the I-THIS, the I-THAT. It's test time in the spring. And, you know, with kids and teachers constantly being reminded that the pandemic isn't over and that they have to worry about... I saw a thing on CNN today where they said, Well, they're worried about kids and COVID again, folks. In March of 2020, they read the same stupid story. It's the same thing over and over again. For heaven's sakes, let's be positive. Send a note with your kid to class. Send your teacher a flipping apple. Do you know how long it's been? Oh, man. You know, send them a bottle of wine. Have somebody put it in their car. You know, it's just... They went home, talked it over with themselves and their spouse at times... And decided to come back. That was for you and your kids. So don't just cut them a break. Help that light burn a little brighter. I, I was told when I was younger, and I will say this as many times as I can until I die. If you want a better pastor, pray for the one you have. If you want a better teacher, pray for the one you have. Because that person spent years in school, went to all the workshops, went to all the teacher development crap that none of us want to go to for you. And yes, not all of them are built equal, and there are some that could probably go and some that should stay. But I promise you, a lot of the ones that should stay are the ones that are going. Teaching is going to be trucking very, very soon, where... Your school will be closed because you literally don't have anybody. Did
0: they have another It's Anderson? already happening yeah, in Indianapolis. Ander- yeah, Anderson, I think, had a couple of them last.
1: Before it's too late, we need to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's in your pocket? Um, I'll be watching Greg Troy, or at least listening to him in the car on Sunday. He's preaching here. And,. Um, I'll start piecing together what I'm going to talk about. Like I already said, I got a little bit of it ahead. We'll be installing officers on the 9th and also having communion on the 9th. um, The 9th is a long ways away still, and so I'm not going to put too much thought into that and just pass the buck here. And just so everyone out there knows, so we're building suspense, as Matt... Tells you what's in his pocket for the week. I'm going to prepare the Ark of the Covenant for him to open. Oh my. And I'm going to make sure all the pieces are still in there because the kids did have it out. <laughs> I feel like that'd be worse if I got the Ark of the Covenant out and then they lost the commandments or something.
0: Be like, oh. <laughs> like,
1: oh, that's not that bad. So, uh, Matt, what's in your pocket? Well, Glenn, I'm going to tell you.
0: I, this, going into this week, I'm looking at, you know, of course it is New Year's. It's, it is, we're starting a new year fresh. And I want to look at the aspect that is, you know, you know, every year, every day of a year, we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Christ followers. But, are we really, uh, are we really doing that? Are we really allowing ourselves to be um, to be the the Christ follower that we are called to be? To be the ones that you know Jesus charged us with being. And looking at you know, if we are, then. What can we do to keep it going? But also, if we're not, what's keeping us from it? What's pulling us away from it? Why are we not talking about this? Why are we not um, addressing this? Because typically, it's one of those we just kind of, you know, pass the buck and say, you know what? I'm a, i am believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm a baptized believer but you know i i you know the the guy with all the tattoos on his arms i don't know about that or you know the the gal that's that comes to church and maybe she's um what's the but fresh from her shift um you know things like that if they're coming into the church i mean they've already taken that step they're coming into a place that historically and as we've seen the last few years has not been an overly welcoming place for these people. And, um, you know, just really looking at the aspects of not necessarily chastising these people when they come in, but talking with them, working with them, and embracing where they've come from and showing them the life that they can lead as a fellow believer in Christ. And I, I don't, I believe that's the best way to start the year. I really do. Um, you know, it, I'm gonna, you know, of course, there's a few other aspects of it that I, I'm gonna leave alone. I, I, draw a line, which we kind of cross that line a time or two. But there's two things I really don't talk about in the pulpit, and that's money and politics. Um, it's a hard and fast rule that I have kept uh, up until this point. The money thing, as has been brought up to me, probably have to touch on it a time or two, especially if the coffers get uh, get a little low, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So that's what's in my on the docket for me this week. Well, folks, we're going to wrap up this show. We thank you for tuning in whether, wherever you found us, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. If you found our Facebook uh, page, Friends, we just, hopefully this has been a way for you to be able to come into a space where maybe you've laughed, maybe you've thought a little bit, maybe you've dwelled on things, and maybe even you got mad. When I ask you, if you got mad, why? Is it something that we said that you disagreed with? Or is it something that we said that maybe is, is rooted in biblical truth that, you really don't want to deal with or you felt that was it was okay that God just, you know, God knows what's on my heart kind of thing and friends I'm here to tell you if you're getting mad there's probably a reason why and I invite you to look at the reason why so that's all I have for this week um, friends thank you very much for tuning in and as uh I've got Al staring at me now. Apparently, we're we're moving into a, an exciting moment here. Um, we are going to move into. I feel like Indiana Jones, but I, I well not even Indiana Jones. I feel like the guy uh, Belloc, that was his name, the character in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the guy who uh, commands that the ark be opened. And here on the air. It won't be live because you're listening to a recording. But, friends, I ask you pray for me. I'm about to do something that scholars, biblical scholars, have wished to do for generations. I'm about to open the Ark of the Covenant. It's getting real in here. Right. I don't know whether I should open or... I'm just admiring the box on, on this, the, the beautiful, the beautiful intricate artwork of it. The two beautiful gold eagles on top of it. The beautiful gold inlay on the top and...
1: Oh, hold on, hold on a second there. Now, are you, are you sure?
0: I don't know. I'm a little afraid of the opening this, Glenn. I mean, because I mean, I, we we know we do not know. <laughs>
1: have, have you ever wondered what might actually be? Let's turn the music down here. Have you ever actually wondered what might be hiding out in there? What evils you might.
0: It's. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of the only thing I can correlate it to is the theory, is the the old story of Pandora's box. You know that that
1: thing. Well, I bet I bet there's a lot of people out there wondering what's going to happen. So I think without further ado,
0: we should let's go ahead and and I guess we'll go ahead but I'll and. I warn
1: you. I have opened it.
0: You have um, opened and you've lived the tale. There's of, no turning back. Oh boy, I tell you what, I'm I'm excited. So here we go, folks. Come on! <laughs>
1: Really? I
0: had to. Oh, it is. It is a very neat model. I mean, it's. It's. I mean, it does have the tablets. It has the staff that bloomed, and of course the manna. That's actually that's a very neat. Uh, that's actually very neat. I might have to get one of those for mine, but I don't know if I'll travel all the way to Jerusalem to get it. Well, you
1: can order stuff online. I can
0: order stuff online, uh, but. But, friends, we appreciate you hanging with us in that. I can't believe you did that to me. I can, yes, as I sit here and think about well, it.
1: It didn't do what it does when
0: I open it. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, you, you're, well, granted, you're, I'm only in ministry a year and a half. You've been in it for almost 20, so. Would you, would you care to
1: know uh, what happens it. I would love to know what happens uh, when you I open gotta, it. I gotta get prepped here. I gotta get my well, my, all I gotta, this lead up. My gloves and my kefia and my. Um, I mean, you, you. My vest on. I'm forgetting what the vest is called now. Um,
0: you've got all the accoutrement on. I mean, I was literally
1: just. I mean. Now this is truly. I don't know why it's different when I do, but this is truly terrifying.
0: <laughs> really. Really? That's what happens when you open it. I hate you sometimes. Oh,
1: friends. Yeah, you thought you love me. Uh, anyway, uh, folks, take us out that's Lynn. it. That's it. Um, I think I've. I think I've now offended everyone. Um, <laughs> For the record, I have spent roughly $500 in tickets on Nickelback concerts of my day, so no offense to Chad Kroger. Um, And also, I enjoyed Who's the Boss? But let's be honest, they were both funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, folks, we pray that this new year would come in with the good and that 2021 would go out with the bad. Happy New Year. Much love to you. In Jesus' name, uh, we wish you the best. Good night, Lindy and Kested. Good morning, Vladivostok. I don't know what time it is there, but it is tomorrow. God bless you all, and good night.
0: Good night, everybody.